Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Poem Out podcast. Uh, I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Really great to have you all back with us again. Um, and yeah, uh, this week we have another new guest. I seem to be getting a lot of new guests. It's great. I love getting new guests. Um, and today um, is um, a podcaster and author um, and someone with a great story. Um, Welcome to the show, Jackie Gronland. Thank you, James. I'm happy to be here. And to all of you listening to this wonderful podcast. Yes. Um, and uh, I'm glad to have you here. I've, I've heard so much about your work and um, all the stuff that you do. Uh, and we're going to talk about that today. So it's it's going to be really great. I love hearing new stories. So, uh, um, yeah, I'm excited to share your story. That's awesome. I'm stoked to be here. None of my three dogs are barking, so I think we're good to go with the background. <laughs> they all That's know good. we're doing a very important talk. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's good. Yes. Um, apologies in advance if dogs suddenly appear in the background. Um, <laughs> oh, more like you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I should be thanking you. We love dogs um, here. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, just tell us a bit about yourself and then we'll get into your story. Yeah, so I right now live in St. Louis with my partner, fiance, I guess I should say, uh, my fiance, Kaylee. We have, live here with our three dogs, as I just mentioned. We got a, a big old pit bull mix, a boxer mix, and a little golden retriever with way too much sass that she knows what to do with. Um, and I'm, a, I'm an author. I'm right now working on my third book, that I am getting ready to pitch to agents for the first time, which I'm super feel very out of my league. So I'm trying to figure out how all that works. And then uh, I do my podcast called The Unity Projects, and I do some speaking occasionally. I would love to get into that more. But other than that, I ride my bike and I like to try to pretend I know how to roller skate and eat ice cream. Eating ice cream, I, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What's your favorite flavor? Oreos. Oh, Oreos. man. I've I... never tried that. I've never You've never tried that. Really? Cookies and no. cream? Oh, I've had cookies and cream, Ben and Jerry's. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's basically um, the same thing. Best flavor in the world. That's I love a fact. Oreos. So I'm sure I would love Oreo ice cream. So oh, God. Um, Oreos have made it over to the UK, everyone. Um, and we love. Wait, is that them. new? No, 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 not new, no, but I'm just okay. uh, I was just saying that people didn't realize that we have got Oreos over here. And, okay, um, good. I was like, if you them. just got them. <laughs> no, we got them years ago. I can't remember actually when we got them. Um, but yeah, I only tried them like three or four years ago. And uh, wow, you know, I, I may or may not have eaten the whole packet in one go. because I You have to. Much. Yeah. They're like <laughs> Pringles of biscuits. Um, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> the um, best yes absolutely um so tell us a bit of your story because you've got a really interesting story about how you got to doing what you do now and you know it's going i know where it's going to take us to a really interesting place so just tell us a bit of a bit of your story yeah are you wanting me to share like just personal story or more so like career wise or what path are you wanting oh, your to personal story like your Person, your spiritual journey, your embodiment journey, all that kind of that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. So, um, so I was raised in Colorado and I had a sister and dogs and parents and our parents raised us very, very Christian, but kind of like in a, have you seen the movie Left Behind, like the, the old one, like world ending one? I've not seen it, but I've heard of it and I kind of have a sense of what it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if anyone listening knows. I think it's like the 2003 version or something, but that was very much my dad's idea of how he wanted to raise us Christians. So it was a lot of fear, a lot of like just fear and anger and uh, he didn't trust anybody. So we would, we wouldn't go to church because he got really upset about church. So he would have our own Bible studies at home. So we were raised kind of like in our own little bubble. And I didn't really have any concept of what life meant outside of that. Uh, I didn't like in my personal life, I wasn't very religious growing up. It was more so just like for my dad. But then I, when I was 19, uh, that was when I got very involved in Christianity on my own. And that kind of went into a totally different path. Uh, and that started off in the middle of somewhat a very, a very abusive workplace relationship that was, uh, I was working, I was a personal assistant for a musician and he was very abusive in multiple ways. And so the Christianity kind of came out of that in a weird way when I was 19. And so, um, that led to a version of Christianity where I was very much like trying to overcompensate because I was living, I was like really ashamed of all this stuff. I was like carrying around a bunch of shame. And so I took the Christianity and I used that to kind of overcompensate and overcorrect. So in, in the Christian world of mine, I was very like, very strict, very, um, you have to teach the severity of God and stuff like that. Uh, and then, am I jumping around too much? I'm not really sure. No. There's obviously a lot of details in between. <laughs> yeah, obviously. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Stop me if you have any questions. Um, but then after a few years of that, I ended up – uh, coming out as bisexual. Right. And when I came out, that was kind of when I had to not really face my, like, the questions of my faith for the first time because I had many moments throughout my journey of, like, trying to decide if it's still something I believed in. And a lot of those moments, and, like, a, my sister came out the year before me, so I had this whole big, like, how does that fit in with, with what I believe? Like, can those two be in the same world and the same life and be okay? Um, and so when I came out, I wanted really, really badly to hold on to my faith because it, it just felt like everything that I knew. It felt like, it felt like my whole life because I was really invested in it. I had like gone off to like a ministry school and like all sorts of stuff. But the more 
I try to hold on to it at the same time as living into my identity as a queer person because I started to make different fr- like friends who were also queer and just find out this whole other really beautiful, colorful part of life that I had never gotten to experience before where everyone is not a Christian and everyone, even if people are Christians, it's like a completely different thing. And so it felt like the more I was stepping into my own shoes and figuring myself out, the more everything I believed to be true about the world, including like religion, et cetera, just kind of fell apart in front of me. And I freaked out. I was trying to figure out how to put the pieces back together until I realized that I don't have to put the pieces back together. I don't have to put this back into some version of what it used to be. Uh, yeah, so that – right now, uh, I I do not identify as Christian. I am Jewish by blood, and so I've been learning a lot about what that means uh, to be oh, Jewish and what Judaism is. And that's been really cool, and that's felt a lot more like – it's felt very safe and very like a place that I like belong because it's very, very focused on tradition and family and lineage and all this stuff. And so that's been a really exciting path. But that's a different story. Sorry, that was a long-winded no, version for it. you. I love it. Like, I, I know that you've written – one of the books you've written is called Finding Home. Yes. And how you like you, – you went around a lot of places – looking for home and then you found it in your own body yes like so tell us a bit about that okay so finding home i wrote that book about it was published in 2019 so about three years four years ago time's weird um yeah and so that book i started writing it right after a very very impulsive move to Uh, the city of Boston, which I had spent maybe a day or two in before. And this move was like, I was uh, touring. I was an assistant to a musician on a tour. And I got offered a job to be her personal assistant full time if I moved to Boston at the end of the tour, which was in three days. So it was going like straight from the last tour date in San Francisco, fly across the country to Boston and that was going to be the start of it. So when I was there, I started reflecting back on my whole young adult life because when I was 18, I moved from my – or when I was 19, I moved from my childhood house in Colorado to California because I wanted to be a dolphin trainer. And then I ended up moving from California to Nashville and Nashville to Boston, back to California, like all over – all over the map. I think I had moved like 12 or 13 times by the time I was there in Boston. And so I realized in all that, that the moving around, I'm like, I don't know if you know much about um, the Enneagram or personality type things, but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm a, yes. So I'm a seven. So I am very much the like adventure chaser, enthusiasm seeker, like, I don't want to sit and deal with hard things. I just want to move on to the next mm-hmm. exciting yeah. thing. So I kept moving because when things felt hard, when like different trauma things would build up and build up, 
and I would be forced to deal with it or avoid it. I would always choose to avoid it. So I would do that in lots of ways, whether that was drinking or whether that was through religion or whether that was through running or starving myself or moving to the other side of the country. I was just looking for a way out. So finding home was kind of the story of me trying to figure out what I was looking for in all those moves and in all those places. Like, what am I chasing? Because it felt like I wasn't just running from something, but it felt like I was also running to something. And uh, and it felt like what I was running towards was this sense of home because I always would talk about how like – like I don't, I don't have a relationship with my parents anymore. That's a very like cut off situation and I would always want to go home to them to create some kind of like – safe, you can kick off your shoes, you can just like exhale and breathe. This like this idea of home where you're welcome and you belong no matter what, like this idea of it. And I was always so confused by it because whenever I would go home, because at this point in time, I I did have a relationship with them. It would always just be the same like badness. And so I was like, what am I going there for? What am I chasing? And so finally – I, through writing the book, by the end of it, I realized that the home I was looking for was actually like a home inside my own body. Because in the middle of that journey, I had come out, I had deconstructed my faith, I had um, started to try to recover from my eating disorder, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, that book is that journey of what that, what that looked like to realize that I was who I needed the whole time. And I guess if you don't feel at home inside your own body, you're not going to feel at home anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've done a lot of embodiment work and I'm part of an embodiment community as well. Like it, it, Being at home inside your own body is like the beginning of like all of that. You can't, if you're not comfortable inside your own body, then you're not going to be comfortable in the world um Mm -hmm. like one of the things that i um started doing uh, and now do almost as habit um is is refer to my body as a person okay he him Mm -hmm. um and so i have a have a relationship with him and can have engagement and conversation with him and listen to him and you know and partner with him and I found that to be so much more healing and I feel less alone. Like, I mean, did, did they, as you kind of got to know your own body and you kind of came into relationship with your body, did you start to feel less less lonely? Yes and no. I mean, yes as a whole, like big picture-wise – through the ins and the outs of it, I know that I was less lonely because I was connected to me and I wasn't trying to separate myself from me. But in the process of it, it was – I don't know if I would have said that when it was first happening. I think I was so kind of in shock about my body and about noticing myself and just – 
stop trying to disconnect and stop trying to disappear, but just like sit there with myself. Um, I had to like kind of learn how to trust my body and trust, trust myself. And it took a second. It was a bit of a learning curve. So it was kind of like I had to develop a relationship with my body and myself first before I felt less alone. But then once I did, then it, then it very much became just that, just another relationship, like you're saying. So I definitely less lonely as time went on. Yeah. And you went, I mean, like you talk, and you, I know you talk about when you, when you go and speak in places, you talk about the struggles with, you know, with depression and, um, you know, and kind of emotional abuse and, and that kind of thing. Tell us a bit about those experiences and how you, how you found your way through those. Yeah. So depression, I think is like, that was the beginning of my, or that was the first thing I noticed and my mental health journey and the, the place, the place of Christianity, like the people I was around viewed depression as, uh, there's something wrong with your relationship with God. Like depression isn't that's not a real thing. That's fake. Uh, this is because maybe there's something, there's like a sin you're committing and et cetera, et cetera. Like I'm sure you've heard of that kind of. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> they're fun. Um, mm. And so I was always so confused about why I felt so depressed. And I, I used, I took it as just like they were saying, like there must be something I'm doing wrong. Um, because depression's not real. Why do I hate myself? I had like, I just suicidal thoughts to the max. And I felt like this horrible person because of that. I was like, that's proof that I'm bad. And then that's just this endless cycle of depression. And so uh, at first I wouldn't call it that. I didn't understand what it was. And it all came, I mean, the reasonings behind the depression, That's that's goes back to parent relationships to teenage trauma stuff to the boss I had that was abusive. Like that's a, that's another story. But as far as like the depression in itself and cause I like to think of things like depression or anxiety as our body's ways of trying to protect itself because it's kind of like, it's harder to think about with depression than it is with anxiety. My therapist used to talk about this with me a lot, but she said to think of anxiety as um, kind of like a, a way your body is trying to protect you. Like if your body thinks there's a threat, it's going to raise your heartbeat and make you anxious to protect you, even though there's not really a threat, but you're triggered because of some past trauma or something. And so they're just – they're like the ways that our body is trying to survive the world. Uh, so my body picked depression <laughs> and I didn't know why. And so actually when I was in Boston was when I tried to talk about that for the first time because that was the darkest it had ever gotten, um, was when I was in Boston because that was the farthest away I had ever moved. And that was kind of like the last stop of just every bad thing catching up to me. And depression was hitting hard. And it, I, I was I didn't know anyone in the city uh, except for my boss, but that's another story. Um, and so I 
was really scared because I was just really, really want. Uh, sorry, I don't know what that was. Uh, I was really, really wanting to just not exist anymore. And so I went to my boss because uh, my boss, she was my one of my best friends at the time and her and her family. And I was just like, something is wrong. Now, they they were very much in the Christian world of depression isn't real, that whole thing I talked about earlier. And so I didn't phrase it like that. I just went and bid like, hey, so I don't know what's wrong, but my brain is super dark all the time. I always feel like I just want to die. I feel like I just described the depression. And I'm like, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what happened to me because I was always this like super happy, go lucky kid and whatever. And then now all of a sudden I'm just like, I can't escape my own brain. So that was when my uh, boss turned around and then it asked me if I ate. And that's when – I don't know how I would say this if she like called it out or if I like faced it for the first time, but when I realized I had an eating disorder. Um, and so I always kind of knew I had an eating disorder in the back of my mind, but I never, I would never say those words out loud or come to terms with it. I just knew since I was 10 years old, my relationship with food was weird and very different than everybody else. And so what ended up happening was, uh, this it's kind of a crazy story, so I'll just make it this part of it pretty quick. But uh, this is part of the Finding Home book. Is my my boss and her family? They ended up uh, firing me and asking me to leave the city and to not talk to them again because the depression and eating disorder and stuff it was too much for them to deal with. At least that was the vibe I was getting, and so I left Boston. And like, I booked my flight. I had to leave in like two hours. I had to get out of there. And I was in like total just rock bottom survival mode. How do I get through this? Um, like my best friend just told me I couldn't, I couldn't talk to them ever again. And like, I lost my job. I don't know what to do. And so, um, and then there was all the baggage of like, I was always afraid that I was too much. And I was always like afraid of, anything bad because it would like push people away and that literally happened. And so that was fun. Um, so anyway, I moved back to Los Angeles and that was when I started, uh, that's when I started really talking about depression in my eating disorder for, the first time, like in depth, like I started going to therapy and I reconnected with old friends that were in a similar place as me when it came to like dynamic with the church because I was – this was kind of part – the middle of me trying to figure out what my faith looked like because of all these other stories that are – would make this way too long. Um, but I ended up uh, – in time moving to to Nashville, and that's when I came out as bisexual, and I saw this new therapist who was the first therapist that I ever like really, really, really trusted. She was incredible. It was equine therapy. Um, so there was a horse with us, and it was just the best. And I started trying to – we started doing EMDR and like real trauma work. I didn't know what trauma was until 
I met her, she like laid it all out, like the window of tolerance, hyperarousal, hypoarousal, like all the different things. And it helped me so much because it really like took that, uh, the distorted view of mental health from the Christian world and it made it make sense. And yeah. she like laid out the science in my brain and all the different chemicals and the wiring and what trauma does to the brain. And I read books like Your Body Keeps the Score and stuff <laughs> like that. And uh, so that was the first time I really, really looked at it. And I was able to examine my own brain from a non-judgmental place, from like a compassionate place of, oh, this happened to me. So this is what my body is trying to do. Sometimes that looks like depression. Sometimes that looks like anxiety. Uh, sometimes that looks like an eating disorder. Sometimes it looks like uh, addiction. And it made me realize that these were all just these avenues I was trying to go to disconnect from myself because I was afraid I was bad. And I was afraid like if I connected with myself, I would have to deal with all that hard, bad stuff. So um, I ended up uh, at the end of the first year in therapy with this with this therapist, um, she actually, uh, what do you call it? She referred me to a treatment center because my eating disorder was getting really bad because we were trying to focus on the trauma. We were trying to process an EMDR, but between every session, my weeks were filled with just me going out and getting drunk and going out and getting drunk and just trying to continue to avoid that. So we came to the decision, like my depression was getting so bad. I was even, I was on meds, but I wasn't eating because I was still in survival mode. And so she said, I just, I needed more care. So I went to a treatment center for eating disorders. They also talked about uh, addictive behaviors like drugs, alcohol and stuff, but it was primarily for eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And I was there for four months and then got discharged came back. Uh, that's a whole other story. That that's that goes into more of what my new book is. <laughs> that story is talking about and sharing. Um, but that's when I decided to stop drinking because that became another thing that I realized I was using to escape myself. And that was when I realized that kind of the root of everything is about my relationship with my body, which is what made me interested in all this and interested in the podcast I do and this conversation in general. Um, so yeah, now it's kind of just right now I'm in a place of uh, – I feel pretty stable with it. I'm on uh, – meds are awesome if you have a good doctor or therapist that – understands what to prescribe you and what not to prescribe you and all that stuff. Antidepressants are great. Um, and so I am on some that are helping me a lot and I stopped drinking and I'm on a, a meal plan I try to follow <laughs> because anyone out there who's been in treatment will know what I'm talking about. But uh, right now, I think my biggest thing that I'm trying to be able to do, which uh, my partner Kaylee is so awesome about, is just being able to share when I am feeling really depressed or anxious or whatnot and just be able to tell her. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense and there's no reason and I just start crying and it's just me having to be okay with that and be connected enough to myself to understand how I'm feeling and to be able to share it 
and that just is what that's just life now <laughs> but yeah that, that that's i guess my answer that's great i'm so, I'm so glad you found that safe space it's, it's it's so important to find those people that you're safe with and you can have community with and like to find that in your partner is great you know like mm. um and she is wonderful I've, I've chatted to her as well um actually shout out to um to jackie's partner because without jackie's partner we wouldn't be talking today yes um, yay for kaylee <laughs> yeah she uh, she recommended jackie to me in the first place so uh thank you <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no but um but yeah like it, we have to face up to all our our stuff don't we we have to have we need good professional support we need the right medication if medication is necessary and we need healthy community you know those those things all matter so much when we're dealing with trauma and grief and you know mental health um those yeah and yeah it sounds like you found all three um which is fantastic um how did how did writing in particular but also podcasting as well but how did how did writing what place what part did that play in your kind of your healing and the kind of coming to a healthier place yeah so uh writing writing started as a helpful tool back when i was still like 19 because i started journaling that was the beginning of me realizing how much i loved writing as i would just i was so i was so hidden from everything and everybody of everything that was actually going on um, that I realized I needed a place to put it. So I decided I wanted to start journaling. So every morning I would wake up and I'd make my coffee and I'd sit and I'd write out everything I was feeling. And it just became this outlet before I could talk about it with people, before I could tell anyone any of this stuff that I was so ashamed of or um, therapists or anything like that. And so um, – I wrote every day until I was asked. Now, during the mix of all this, I was also I was making a lot of YouTube videos, so mm-hmm. that came before podcasting. So it was kind of like a video diary, basically. And someone was asking me if I had ever considered writing a book because I was talking about how I loved these videos and I loved journaling and I loved um, blogging and stuff like that. And that sparked this idea in my brain. I was like, oh my gosh. And so I was, I think I was 21 at that point. And uh, that's when I decided I was going to write my first book. And so um, that was incredibly helpful in so many ways because it just, it felt like it gave me my power and my voice back because I got to share my story. And like, there's just, there's so many stories about there of anyone going through any type of abuse where the abuser gets he has the power. He has the attention, he has the like people believe him like if he's in some kind of like in my in my situation, uh my abuser was the first musician I worked for. And so he was this like super charming, charismatic guy that everybody loved and he had like this huge following and all this money and power and stuff. And so it was just, 
it was really hard to think that anybody would ever take my side or anyone would ever listen to what I had to say. And so when I was able to start writing, I realized I could share my story. I could talk about what happened from my perspective through my eyes. Like I have power there. It was incredibly healing. Oh, man. And then that just like quadrupled into my next book. And then now my third book is just like to the max. Um, It's just it's so good to feel like you have that kind of – you have that kind of power over your story because it's your story. It's my story. Her story. His story. Um, Yeah. So it's been incredibly helpful. Yeah. And that's why I asked because I – that's been my experience too and i know it's been a lot of other people's experiences and it seems to be i've always believed that like when we when we write especially when we write but also when we create anything that it tells something of who we are and you know i'm also convinced that, that writing out our stuff and telling our story and expressing that um has a therapeutic impact it heals us Mm-hmm. It, it sets us free and like you say i love that whole idea of like when you write out your own story that is empowerment because you are telling your story and it's your story and no one else gets to decide what it is mm-hmm. um so you can really step into your own power when you do that um, yeah that is that's really inspiring encouraging um yeah um and everyone has that you see that's the thing i've like I've always said to people, like, you don't have to be a professional writer to do this. You can just journal, like, your feelings. <laughs> just journal your story, right? Just write it out privately. No one ever has to see it. But that's not the point. Like, you can just write it out, and you are taking control of your story when you do that. You're, you're, you know, you're, take, you're seizing agency, You are, and you're processing what's inside of your body. Because sometimes... Sometimes for me, the only way that I know what's inside of me is when I write it out. Sometimes when I'm mm. just like free writing, I just don't, things come out of me that I didn't know were in there. Mm. And it can be so liberating. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It, it feels like, like, are you an external processor or an internal processor? Oh, hmm. both, I think. I process okay. a lot by talking. Like sometimes I just start, thinking out loud and like thinking out feelings and stuff and thoughts and stuff. And when I'm talking, something will come out and it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, um, sometimes that happens when I'm writing as well. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that, that counts as external processing, but yeah, I guess, I guess I am external. Yeah. I guess that's what it is. Um, like I remember I told my story for my own podcast. Um, and my friend interviewed me for, I think it was 300th episode and um oh, wow that's a lot of and episodes. I remember telling my story yeah and it was like an hour and a half but I remember doing when I was doing that things that I hadn't realized or thought before came up because I was processing my story as I was telling it mm. um so yeah I think I am an external processor yeah yeah that makes sense and it does it does get a little fuzzy on because I think like you said like we're, we're a little bit of they're blended like it's kind of a gray area and you're not just one or the other but I think that as a a writer or a podcaster or something like it's um it's a way of externally processing without actually like 
well, other than podcasting right now, without actually talking to somebody, like you're writing it and getting it out of your head. And then as you're writing, things come up and it's like so different than just sitting and thinking about it. For for me, at least, like mm. it's really yeah. helpful. Yeah, it is for me too. You know, now I come to think about it. See, I'm externally processing right now. Um, <laughs> I do sit and ruminate on things. That's often that often has a negative impact because I start overthinking things. I'm an Enneagram four, right? So, ah. um, so I overthink things a lot. Um, and especially, especially because I've got rejection sensitive dysphoria, you know, you can start overthinking things in a really negative way. So like, yeah, I don't think internal processing is necessarily works. Um, um, the only way that it kind of works is when I'm watching a movie and get inspired or connect to it. But, Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, that's kind of external processing because the movie is kind of it's kind of processing it for me, if that makes sense. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Some people, some people, some people process really well internally. Like you know, different people are different. Um, however, we process healthily is the way we do it. Um, but mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, definitely, it's external. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. it's for you as well. Yes, for sure. Um. Yeah. Um, so, like, you've learned, like, you've probably, you've been, you've, you know, you've had a kind of a varied journey. You know, you've you've been, you've been talk, you talked about kind of your depression and your, um, you know, and your eating disorder a little bit. And like, when was it you realised that you found real connection with, with your body and with yourself? I want to say during treatment, but it feels like I, like two different times come to mind, two different memories. Uh, the first one is at the very, very, very end of treatment, I went horseback riding and I, I love horses. I like had volunteered at a at a horse ranch for a while before treatment. And so right before I left for treatment, I went horseback riding and was just in so much pain because I was so sick and so weak. And I was just like everything, I couldn't do it. And I couldn't process a thought in my head. Like everything was in one ear, out the other. I just, I had, my brain just was not working because I wasn't giving it what it needed at all. And so at the end of treatment, when I went horseback riding again, it was like this full circle moment because all of a sudden I was like, like, I don't know if you've ever ridden horses or if anyone out there. I, I have once or twice, but not, not for a long time. I think I was, I think I was a teenager when I, when I last did it and it was pony trekking. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, but when you're, when you're on a horse, it's like you, when you're on a horse or just around horses, like you have to be aware of your body because this 1200 pound animal is like, it, it could, if you do the wrong thing, like you could get seriously injured. Uh, like you gotta, you gotta know what's going on. You gotta like be in control and a know of like your legs and your ankles and your, your stomach and your shoulders. Like you have to, you have to know what's going on. So you have to be connected. And also just this part of my my brain being able to remember what to do and like – because I don't – I'm not like 
very good or anything like that. I was still learning. And so the things I was being told from uh, my friends at the ranch for like what to do, like hold your hands up or like sit up or something like that. Like it wouldn't – before treatment, it just – it was right over my head. And so then after treatment, it all made sense. And it was all the same things, but all of a sudden this was like it made sense and I was there and it was a completely different experience than the first time around. And so that – and I was also strong enough to do it because now I had – I had nourished myself for months. I like had built back up my energy and my strength and stamina and my brain. There's so much to be said about what not eating does to your brain. Oh my gosh. Um, And so that definitely was a moment when I realized like, oh, I I feel connected to my body. Like this is – this like I could like – this is the journey. And then – uh, the other time that I'm remembering is when I started dating Kaylee and I started just like what, like Kaylee's someone who has always been someone I could tell everything and anything to, like, no matter what. And she has just been such a safe place before we were dating. And so because we started we started dating after I got back from treatment. So this was like around the same time when uh, a little bit after the second horseback ride when I was like, oh my gosh, I can ride horses. Um, I was just able to be so honest and safe with her and share how I was feeling and like not be afraid of what my body looked like and started to realize that I wasn't afraid of what my body looked like. That was also this time when I felt just really comfortable with myself and I just like her loving me helped me love me in this different way because I hadn't really been – I hadn't been – I like dated a lot but I had never been in like a super serious relationship like that before and so it was a whole different experience and it was really awesome, which goes back to the connection stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about uh, a newfound connection with your partner. And and through that connection with yourself, um, or, yeah, I mean, I think when you're, con- when you're more connected to yourself, it allows you to be more connected to other people. Oh, 100%. Yeah, because you, because you're not, like because you're completely aware of who you are and you're comfortable in your own skin so you're not self-conscious all the time you know you're mm-hmm. you're looking outwards so you're open to connecting with other people yeah and you like you know who you are so you're like you're more present and you're there and just like you said you're less self-conscious so you're just like just who you are you know who you're giving like what you have to give in a relationship and it's really awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, so, so what's, uh, and this is probably a difficult question, but what is the, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned on your journey so far? The biggest lesson? Yeah. Oh boy. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh, There's a lot of things that come to mind, but I think the biggest one right now is 
just the concept of taking my own side and not abandoning myself and just choosing me. Like in situations where I have to choose between my mental, emotional well-being or making this other person happy, I can choose my own mental and emotional well-being. Like I can choose myself over relationships that are not good or work environments that are not good. Like I can choose what keeps me the most me. Like my 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 therapist told me uh, when I discharged from treatment, I was like in the middle of all sorts of very weirdly combined big life decisions like regarding my relationship with my parents and regarding um, these other things that I was doing. And it was – she told me that – I'm, I'm going to quote her wrong, but it was something about like uh, my – any anything that requires me to zip up, like anything that requires me to uh, – not be my true self, to not be my me, to wear like a mask like I had for so long is a risk to my recovery. So, and at that point in time, my recovery was the most important thing and I had to learn the lesson that it was okay that it was the most important thing. So if that meant I couldn't be friends with this person who wasn't cool with my sexuality, for example, then that's what that meant. Or... I couldn't work at this job because they had these beliefs or I don't know, just stuff like that. Like I had to know that it was okay and good for me to choose me and all that. Mm. I love that. Love that. Thank you. <laughs> so great. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, yeah, me too. Thank you very much for asking me such good questions. You're welcome. Thank you. That's encouraging. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, where can people find you and, and your work? Yeah, so I, um, I'm on Instagram at JackieG.TV. That is my main social media that I am on. And then um, – I just finished putting together my website, which is JackieGronland.com. That's where you can find my podcast, which is The Unity Project, my book, which is Finding Home, or uh, just get in the know of what it is that I'm doing, have updates on my upcoming book, which is still without a name, so TBD on that. But yeah, so either Instagram or my website – and I guess if, if you want to send me an email, it's Jackie at JackieGronlin.com. But all that stuff you can find on my website. So that's probably the easiest place. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I would highly recommend following Jackie and uh, keeping in touch with her work. It's fantastic. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Jackie. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and thanks for listening, everybody.